and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Wayne Wise. How's it going, Wayne? Hey, Mav. I'm good. How are you? I'm, it's nice to be back. It's weird when I'm not on the show, and I have to yeah, listen to yeah. it later. <laughs> yeah, it is weird when you're on the show. You provide a pattern to things that Hannah and I were a little bereft without. We lose our place very easily without that, so... But thank it's you for your hosting abilities. For, so <laughs> It's fun for me. And this is not like a tuning my own horn thing. I like listening to the show when I'm not on it. Not because like I realized that I do it more often. I, you know, I'm on more episodes than anybody else. So I'm more used to the flow. But it's also the reason I wasn't on last week was because I had nothing to add because you were going to be primarily talking about two shows, neither of which I'd ever seen. (laughs) I am interested in both shows. I am interested in Rings of Power. I am interested in House of the Dragon. I actually probably will watch both of them. But at time of recording last week and still today, I had not yet watched any of it. So I was just like, I'm going to have nothing to add. And I had to work late that day. (laughs) It's just like, you guys do the show without me and, and, and good luck. But also, I'm glad I was missed because it makes me feel special. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, that's not what we're doing today. What are we doing today? You know, we're a pop culture show and we talk about all this stuff and something has been a part of pop culture for a long time, almost as long as I've been a part of pop culture. We've never talked about Doctor Who. And I know there's a giant fan base. It's been around for a long time. The most recent season just ended as of our recording this past Sunday night. Wait, transis- yeah, last week. So we're at the end of one era. We'll be transitioning to a new one. So I thought this is a good time to talk about Doctor Who. I would not say it's my favorite show, but I do enjoy some of it. Not all of it. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that. I wouldn't I would not say I'm a Whovian. I am something of a fan, but like I'm not a I'm not a huge fan, not a super fan. What about you? I yeah, I more so than you. Yeah, it has definitely become one of my primary fandoms. And this leads me to a good introduction to one of the guests we brought with us. I, you know, I and I said this in the blog the call for comments. I don't really remember not being aware of Doctor Who because you know, I read geek magazines and comics and monster mags and sci-fi magazines and all that stuff growing up. But it just simply it ran on PBS in America, but I didn't get PBS on that metal stick on my roof down in the hollow back in <laughs> 1977. So while I was aware of it, I didn't get to see it. And by the time I had access to it, the notion passed. I never had regular access to it most of my life. And then just sort of also once I discovered that there were you know, roughly 8,000 episodes by that point, it's like, well, I didn't pursue it. And then in what, 2005, it gets rebooted with Christopher Eccleston as the ninth doctor. And I still didn't watch it because I just felt kind of out of the loop. And they, <laughs> a good friend of mine, Stephen Siegel, who is here with us tonight, was Steve was my editor at in Pittsburgh Magazine. Steve's probably responsible for a tremendous percentage of my published writing, but he's also a, a big nerd. And I say that with all love, Steve. <laughs> and so he was my editor, but he also shopped at my store. So he was a weekly regular phantom and we developed a tremendous friendship based on all kinds of geeky things. And it was Steve who said to me, no, really, just start watching with Eccleston. Just you don't worry about the rest of it. Just start watching it. They're like, all right, I will do so. And he was right. I've been a fan ever since. I have seen some of the pre-Eccleston stuff, but still not a lot. I'm definitely in that category of new Whovian, who I appreciate the history, but I still haven't actually watched a whole lot of it. So with that introduction, Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for showing up. (laughs) Guys, thanks for having me. 
Uh, so, so you were my editor in Pittsburgh a long ass time ago. Tell us everything you've done since. You have quite the resume, my friend. Let's do, as they say in Spaceballs, the short version. I was a local news editor in Pittsburgh for a few years, which is when we worked together writing about mm. music and comics and all sorts of interesting things. And then I left Pittsburgh and moved to Washington, D.C. and went to work at a small science fiction and fantasy publisher that was publishing a magazine people might have heard of called Weird Tales that's been around in one form or another since the 1920s. Tales is where, you know, once upon a time, all of the stories of H.P. Lovecraft got published, put in The Barbarian. And so I sort of fell sideways into running 2000s reboot of the modern version. So I spent several years sort of in the thick of fantasy short fiction and you know kind of playing in the places where fantasy and science fiction and horror all flop over each other and into general weirdness which part of the attraction of Doctor Who for me in the first place and then since then I've done some other things I've edited books at Quirk Books which is the publisher of things like Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and these days I am the editorial chief at a website called legacy.com, which is the just place on the web that partners with all of the newspapers in America to publish their obituaries. So I, I'm very much not in the speculative fiction realm at the moment. I'm very much in the sort of extreme realism realm. But, you know, it's all good storytelling, I hope. Yeah. Very I guess, cool. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I tried to do the short version and <laughs> I kept talking. <laughs> no, that's fine. So you, you've done a lot of cool stuff, including editing some books and writing some stuff of your own that we will link in the show notes and talk about at the end of the show. I'm very specifically going to ask you to hype some specific books of yours, but that can wait till the end when we ask you, do you have anything to promote? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, so, you brought somebody too. Yeah, I brought the biggest Doctor Who fan that I know because I, similar to you, I've always been aware of Doctor Who. I saw some early versions, early versions. I mean, they're some classic who, I guess you'd say as a kid when it was on PBS, because I did get it on my rooftop antenna. I didn't like it very much when I was a kid. I didn't care for it for a couple of reasons. For one, we've talked about on the show before. I'm not necessarily the biggest British humor fan. I'm also less of a sci-fi fan than people think. There were some British shows that I like. I love the Avengers. I love the Avengers dearly. And Doctor Who didn't work like that. And as far as like that sort of science fiction mold for British television, I like the Tomorrow People a lot, which doesn't have the same cachet, but like similar era. And then I didn't care for a lot of the Doctor stuff. And I almost kind of thought it was stupid. So I didn't give it a shot. But when the reboot happened, I know one friend of mine from college who was super into it and would talk about it online and some other people would talk about it. So I gave it a, I gave it a shot and I've actually really liked it since the Eccleston years started. So I've gone back and watched some of the classic stuff. Still don't really love it, but I like a lot of the new stuff. But anyway, that friend, Shelby Davis, I wanted to invite. So you, Shelby went to CMU with me for many years. I think you actually went for fewer of the many years than I went. But welcome, Shelby. <laughs> Thanks, Mav. Great to be here. <laughs> Tell people about yourself and, and how you like why your love of this property. So, yeah, I'm definitely one of the PBS watchers and I kind of probably got into it a little 
little bit more than you. A little? Because, uh, a little bit more, yes. <laughs> a little bit more than you. I kind of fell in love with the fourth Doctor and probably Sarah Jane as well. And then, you know, as time went on, I would do kind of fanish things like in a certain virtual reality class, make a Dalek and VRML. <laughs> we won't go into that. And then uh, the class was, that Shelby and I started really became friends in college was not a pleasant experience for either of us. Yes, but. It was shared drama. <laughs> <laughs> but that did get onto the wired virtual reality model of the day page. Yeah. And uh, I think I have another bit of internet fame for wearing a TARDIS hat at the New York City Easter parade. So <laughs> somebody that ended up on somebody's blog. But yeah, I've been watching that. I've been watching new who as well listen to a little bit of the big finish audio productions and uh, my kids got really into it as well so you know they've kind of dragged dragged me through some of the harder to follow stories in the more recent seasons that's interestingly so we have a variety of levels of when people came to the doctor and that's my first question because as far as i can tell everybody has their doctor and their doctor is the best and she couldn't be here today so i will say on behalf of hannah hannah says that the best doctor is matt smith she's wrong but that's what she says um (laughs) (laughs) because i've you know people will say this in the fandom is to you know people say well my doctor is and as far as i can tell my doctor is for everybody it feels like their doctor is their first doctor and i know that would be definitely be true for hannah she started watching Mm -hmm. the show with matt smith and so that's who she is and that's why you know david Tennant had left by the time that she started watching him Mm -hmm. so when she goes back went back and watched them and it wasn't the same person and so she didn't like him as much and she was wrong because david Tennant is the best doctor and (laughs) and, and, because he was the one when i started watching which is why he's better than eccleston or any of the original ones because she's demonstrably wrong i don't know why we're doing the rest of the show (laughs) david Tennant is clearly the best so anyway i'm wondering who who other people thought Yeah, well, I find that fascinating because I what I really love about it. And yes, I have the ones that I like better than others. But I like that change. The fact that it does change, that something new is brought to it every time. So, there, so do I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's a big part of why I watch it. And I get like you miss the people when they're gone, but I always want to see what comes next. So while I have my favorites, that's so much a part of the show for me. It wouldn't be the show without that. So, yeah, I would echo that. You know, I can't remember a time in my life that Doctor Who wasn't present. I'm a second generation nerd, you know. My father was into all this stuff, so, you know, when I was a kid, their time meant Star Trek reruns, and Saturday nights meant Doctor Who on PBS, and bedtime meant whatever books I could steal from his shelf. So, you know, I, the, my first memories of Doctor Who are definitely Tom Baker, who, as everyone knows, is the real Doctor Who. But <laughs> that said, you know, almost as early are the memories of regeneration and the memories even before regeneration of how the show didn't seem to follow the rules of other shows. Like depending on what week I turned it on PBS, sometimes the doctor was the real doctor, but sometimes the doctor was this old guy who was grumpy and in black and white. And sometimes <laughs> the doctor was this debonair aristocrat with a magician's cape. And 
he wasn't the same, but he was somehow. And the shows weren't the same, but they were somehow. And that was always part of it, even though Tom Baker is the doctor. <laughs> Shelby? I am definitely in agreement with Tom Baker being the doctor. I have liked pretty much all the doctors, even the movie doctor. I, he was given a short shrift by the movie. If one, one of the things that I've liked is going and listening to. So there is a company in England called Big Finish, and they put out radio plays of Doctor mm-hmm. Who basic, basically old radio serials and they brought on pretty much everybody but you know the first couple doctors have come on and done radio plays and they've been amazing and since you don't have to deal with the BBC's budget from the 60s, 70s and 80s for special effects you know they probably are better in your head than they would have been on television and so you know like things like Colin Baker he gets redeemed by not having to wear that silly you know rainbow <laughs> jacket right yeah why well, and you know, being a new whovian that history and knowing who those characters were whether i've seen the stories or not i like that sense of history that there's all this that has come before me that this character has experienced all these things and that informs who they are now and we can get callbacks to stuff or characters or aliens or whatever i mean this most recent one the the fan service of the last jody whitaker episode that had several of the old companions who certainly predate me Mm-hmm. And I know who they are from having read stuff, but I didn't, I don't have the emotional connection in having watched them. But those scenes still worked for me. You know, there was an emotional impact of those scenes because I know that history. And having seen the doctor, several doctors go through several companions, recognizing kind of what the essence of that relationship is and being able to project that into these people who I don't know as well. I have a question for Wayne that's going to bleed into a question for Shelby and Steve. Wayne, have you listened to the radio plays or read the books or, or the comics I've, or anything like that? I've read some of the books and obviously I've read some of the comics. Okay. I've not listened to radio shows. I We may have talked about this on the episode before. I, my auditory learning, I don't do books on tape. My, my brain just turns everybody into a Charlie Brown adult about five okay. minutes in. So I have a real tough time with that. And that's my personal limitations processing because i don't i mean i've read a doctor who comic here or there usually because i'm researching some geeky thing you know i'm a comic scholar right um but as a general rule i don't i don't subscribe to the comic i don't read it regularly i've never read any of the novels i think i've heard bits and pieces of a couple of the radio plays so i'm mostly coming at this from a tv show perspective and as i said i don't necessarily care for the production value of and the acting and you know the old one's just not my thing i made fun of it but it's it's just not my thing and it's fine if you like it what i did like a lot about the jody whitaker thing is i don't really know who ace is i mean i've read a list of doctor who companions before Mm. i've read a couple of the crossover comics to where it's just like hey there's 50 people in this and we don't have time to introduce them all so they just get one panel and you're supposed to recognize them from outfit so i don't Mm. really know anything about this 14 15 year old girl that used to just hang out with the doctor because i've never watched those shows but the sense of history that you're talking about as a i mean i really the modern show so i don't hesitate to call myself a casual fan but certainly the most casual of the four of us it worked for me like i felt the Mm -hmm. connection and i and it's like you know when these 60 year old women 60 and 70 year old women say yeah we were you 40 years ago and this is you know this is what happens like i'm like okay this is this story is working for me so Mm -hmm. i'm wondering how that worked out 
or, you know, people who have, who have more history with it. Did it feel too fan servicey or too, and too forced or did it feel natural? Cause from my perspective, not knowing them, I was amazed at how much when, when Ace has the discussion with her doctor about, you know, why did you leave me? And it's like, I didn't leave you. You grew up and you know, I have to let you, that's how the parent does. Yeah. It was, that really worked for me. So I'm wondering yes. how that worked for you guys with those characters. I thought those scenes worked well. I mean, it was, you know, it certainly pulled at the heartstrings you know, to see some of the old faces. And, and, you know, Ace in particular really was sort of like the prototype of how the modern day companions are in the rebooted show. Like she really, you know, had that strong emotional relationship with the doctor, you know, at, as her sort of, you know, mentor and father figure, particularly. But, you know, in the in a lot of the old show, like, companions were there or as a plot device than as a person and you know the best companions were the ones that sort of transcended that ace was one of the handful who actually got written as a real person so having her in the modern show was pretty great i honestly like my complaint was that they packed so much packed so much spectacle and easter eggs and whatnot into this last episode which you know i enjoyed it as doctor who celebration but i kind of would have rather had a whole story where we got to deal with, you know, these characters meeting each other again, like like they did, you know, back when Tennant was on the show and they brought Sarah Jane Smith back. I thought that was amazing. I was going to add, that was my question for Shelby. The Sarah Jane, the adult Sarah Jane, I mean, I guess she was an adult, but she was a young adult. The elder adult Sarah Jane stuff in the Tennant era, era, I thought was amazing. And so much so that they eventually gave her her own show, you know, but I just, that I feel like that really, and I, not seen any of those i'd not i'd not seen any sarah jane young stuff at all when i watched those the first time so i think it's a testament to the show the way it does feel that connection to the past so that's why i was wondering for you shelby like like i know so in your case i know from before she's one of your favorite characters in all of fiction is that fair i I wouldn't she's one of my favorite companions i you know right for favorite character in all of fiction you have to fight off lord of the rings okay. there's a lot there <laughs> okay okay but like i didn't name, name my cat fingolfin for instance okay, <laughs> okay. but in this but fandom it, she's definitely up there in this fandom de- yeah definitely sarah jane is one of my favorite companions i watched her spin-off series right until scary space clowns i kind of (laughs) threw it off the deep end it was in the deep end for a long time before it got to scary space clowns but yeah the you know the nostalgia factor is definitely there for this episode i felt that they did a better job of mixing the nostalgia into the into the actual plot of the show than previous regeneration episodes like Mm -hmm. when we last saw the master or was it when we last when was it when they had like all the other doctors circling around Gallifrey trying to 50th anniversary yeah Yeah, that was right 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 before Capaldi yeah that was rough I felt (laughs) that episode was rough where Mm -hmm. they just tried to put too many things in there at the same time and this one I think it was a little bit better pacing I felt it was one of the better regeneration episodes of the modern era why what made the regeneration part of it it was not as maudlin as say like you know Matt Smith going that one felt the regeneration part was dragged off like 20 Mm. times too long and I think you know well we have a little bit of the you know character falling in love with the doctor it's not as it's you still see that you know she's an alien right Mm. it's not really going to be anything that's going to work there like like Tenet 
it in rows. So I just felt like it was um, easier to emotionally connect with what was happening. And what didn't feel like it had gone too far, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I'm torn a little bit. So, I mean, we should address the the falling in love with the doctor thing. I think one of the things that has I've seen as a criticism of the show, and I disagree with this, there are particularly some of the classic fans don't like that the new show has a soap opery element to it, right? Like the doctor has traditionally had companions that are sidekicks in the classic series. And then since the reboot, you've got the doctor and a companion, a female companion, usually because it's usually been a male doctor who is the, you know, vaguely the love interest. That's explicitly the love interest with Rose, but vaguely with Martha, vaguely with Clara, vaguely, you know, I guess explicitly again with River. And I get why people are turned off by it, but I also think that's the nature of the audience they're trying to reach. And I think it's something, assuming this was real, I think it's something that would happen. Yeah. Right. And the flip side argument has been that I see people who were upset that you didn't have more of an explicit relationship between Yaz and I'm just going to use their the actor's names because of yeah. the numbering gets weird. But the Jody Whitaker doctor, the most recent doctor incarnation was female. And it was very clear. In fact, I think it was actually mentioned in at least one episode that Yaz has fallen in love with the doctor. And you never really get an acknowledgement of that from the other from the doctor's end, though, to be fair, the doctor usually doesn't acknowledge any of the romantic feelings. I mean, the, the two special ones are Rose, and that's only after he'd only half regenerated and River, right? Right. And River is something that developed over the course of several seasons and many years of those characters' lives. She mm-hmm. was never the companion in, in the way we think of, you know, like she wasn't. At the least a- on screen. Right. Yeah. Right. On screen. Yes. Certainly they implied that we saw there was some of that took place off screen. Mm-hmm. So part of it is there's a drive by some people who want to see their doctor be asexual <sighs> in general. And then there's a drive by. Some people who want, especially especially in the Whitaker version, you know, they want that representation. Why can't the doctor be queer? And I mean, I get it. I just don't know what to do with it. Right. Like I like I I didn't see the chemistry between Yaz and the doctor in a sexual way as much as like, uh, I mean, I like I get why people wanted Rose and Tennant to be together. Like it just clearly was going there because I don't I didn't really feel the chemistry with like Rose and Eccleston, for instance. It, it wasn't right. Mm hmm. I think you dropped a wonderful opportunity to make a joke there with the doctor being ace. Well, I mean, is that what makes the character work or is it? I don't know. I mean, how do you guys feel about it? Like, I do you guys like that part or is it because I've seen a lot of people who go, well, you know, he or she is supposed to be an alien. So why are they why are they worried about? little trivial like love relationships with characters that are going to live for you know one tenth of your lifetime well I was gonna say like that's starting to get to sort of my take on it you know I don't think the doctor is asexual and I don't think I want the doctor to be asexual it's just there's a you know we talk about power differentials and relationships and you know doctor and most of his human companions you know you're talking about you know a professor student relationship times a hundred but he's not just an alien like he's a you know he's a 900 year old alien from a race that can see dimensions the the idea that the idea that an 18 year old earth person is who he would fall in love with like 
is like to me it always felt like a little bit of a stretch whereas you know like in the old show when he traveled with another time lord for a while when romana was his companion even though they didn't explicitly put romance on the screen no, I was completely able to believe that, oh, well, this is, you know, this is one of his peers. This is his equal. And no, there was definitely a vibe going on there. And that totally worked for me. And I think that's why to the degree people like it with River, it worked better with River because she's more like you know, she's more like mm-hmm. the Time Lord, even though she's not one. Her description in that Christmas special with Capaldi when she before she in when she was in the midst of realizing who he was. Mm. And, you know, she's describing, you know, it's like being in love with the universe. I forget her exact phrasing, you know, and expecting it to love you back. And it was discussing that sort of thing. And one of my. Yeah. And one of my great regrets in all of who is not seeing those two actors get to be those two characters together a lot more than that one episode. (laughs) Yeah, sure. They had a sort of chemistry that she didn't really have with Smith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And while we're there, I just I and I'm probably wrong. Capaldi is my doctor and I know I'm in a minority with that. But that came out of a being a man of a certain age myself after Mm -hmm. having two young, good looking guys, having an older doctor and older point of view come in. He also stole my look. I've been doing the frock hoodie thing for years before he did. So what you're saying is you're saying there's not enough representation for elderly white men and that's exactly what I'm saying. In any media, elderly white men are being horribly over overlooked. You okay don't forget grumpy know it all white men. Yeah, right. Yes. I I definitely feel like I could have had more more Capaldi, especially if it was less Clara. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I and this gets into to fan talk rather than bigger issues. But when Clara was with Matt Smith, she was a cipher to me. There was nothing about her that drew me whatsoever. Mm. Over the course of Capaldi's run, I learned to see her through his eyes because, I mean, that first Capaldi season, he was hard to take. He was a grumpy bastard. And, you know, he's not human, but Clara humanized him. He went from really having no sense of human emotions whatsoever to spouting long quotes about kindness and love by the end of his thing. We saw him go from being unable to be touched to hugging people. And she brought that out in him. And I learned to love Clara because he did. I guess it's kind of a throwback to the first doctor. The first doctor was very much a, you know, standoffish. Yeah. I've only seen, I've only seen a few storylines from the first doctor. Yeah. Some of them don't even exist anymore, but. And a call back to a couple of episodes ago when we talked about Rocky Horror, where I have this elaborate headcanon for backstory. I have the same thing for why Capaldi was the way he was when he first regenerated based on things that went before. But we won't get into that. I'll write the fanfic. I do have a, I mean, following up on you pointed out you know, there is a lot of lack of love for Clara as a companion or as a character in the fandom sometimes. Is that fair? I can't speak for the rest of fandom. I can only speak to she she became too much of a godlike being. Like, I, too much of the storyline was shoved through her as the MacGuffin. That I kind of feel. That was that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask, you know, if you I've seen other people say that too, right? And what you're saying, like you there was a distaste for what they did with the character. I felt when watching it that they were trying to recapture some of the magic that was with Rose without trying to and trying to still at the same time make it a platonic relationship. 
which was like sort of the brilliance of the Donna Noble relationship, which I love. I think that the with Donna, the fact that she's just this middle-aged woman who, as far as I'm concerned, I'm your equal time lord, and I'm not yep. going to be impressed by all your bullshit. I Boy, spaceman, hands off. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, I, and I love that about that character. And I feel like Clara was trying to toe this line between them, you know, in a way with Capaldi to where, you know, I love that since she predates Capaldi on the series, she becomes his guide in a way Mm -hmm. that normally the doctor is the guide for the companions. So I like that. And I wonder, you know, a lot of people didn't. So I'm wondering for everybody, what makes a good companion? Because my Mm -hmm. favorite companion is Rose, because I love that relationship Mm -hmm. and because the real doctor is David Tennant. So Rose (laughs) is naturally the best. Um, But but like, seriously, I'm really really in the minority here because Martha is way up there on my list of favorite companions. And she just took nothing but shit from fandom. Some of that was racial, I think. To to me, it was primarily, you know, Tennant, that doctor treated her terribly that entire season and the fan base did as well and Mm -hmm. it boiled down to she's not rose which is how he treated her and it's how the fan base treated her and i love the fact that one day she just went you know this is toxic i gotta leave that was her story not rose and why are you here yeah she learned to not take it but it's a hard story to pass off yeah but what do you look for because because like steve you said that the early ones a lot of times weren't characters because their job was their job is to be uh, exposition last or exposition lad their job is to stand there and ask questions for the doctor to, to expound upon and you said sarah yeah, like, and, I, and you both said sarah jane's not that right ace is not that and in the modern day they try to make none of them that so what makes a companion good i mean what makes a companion good is almost as ineffable a question as what makes a doctor good and i think some of it comes down to the degree to which you know degree to which Doctor Who is a, like the appeal of it, the appeal of the show at a deep level is about identity. Mm-hmm. So Star Trek is about teamwork and excellence and civics and loyalty. You know, Star Trek is about being a good citizen. That's the future liberals want. Like Doctor Who is about being alive and it's about making choices. It's about deciding who you're going to be. And I, I think even though it's rarely explicitly about that, the subtext is really strong. And the fact of the longevity of the show and like the changing of the doctor, the changing of the companions, like gives everyone the chance to find themselves somewhere in the show. So I think some of the appeal is just waiting till you find the thing that resonates with you. You know, I tended to like, for the most part, my favorite companions were the ones who could hold their own against the doctor. So, you know, Mav, you brought up Donna and Donna is absolutely my favorite companion of the modern era for that exact reason. You know, she's just as strong a person as he is like, never mind her, you know, cosmic powers or lack thereof. She's like, she's in a room with him. Like she to be just as impactful as he is so that you know that's also why i like sarah jane you know she was a woman on a mission you know she was a journalist she was here to find the truth she was here to tell stories mm-hmm. and like she was bringing something to the table omana because she was also a time lord like the doctor couldn't one over on her with his gobbledygook you know he couldn't sort of nonsense his way out of something he didn't want to talk about because romana would be like that's bullshit so i like the dynamic where there's push and pull between the companion and the doctor well, and Steve, you went someplace that 
on your own, that's something I was going to bring up is what is it about this character, this show, this concept that accounts for its longevity and accounts for the tremendous fan base it has and you know, the tremendous love the fans have for it. That what it just, and then, you know, that's a hard question to answer, but I think you were definitely in that ballpark with speaking to some of those things. It's just, you know, I try to break down because like, you know, I, I grew up steeped in science fiction, you know, mm. one point in adulthood, someone asked me, what religion did you grow up? And like, as a joke, I just tossed off science fiction. And then yes. I like I stopped and I pulled back and I said, oh shit, that's the real answer. So science fiction is the body of, of text where I encountered questions about the universe and humankind's place in it and being a good person and what does it all mean? Like, Science fiction actually was my religion. And, you know, when I think about Doctor Who's place in that and like, how did the presence of this show in childhood like mean something to me? You know, it was this place where it was this place where the preconceptions of regular life didn't hold true. And, and like, you know, science fiction in general is about recognizing that the universe is bigger than what we see here in front of us on a daily basis. Right. And after who is like the distilled essence of that idea, you know, there's a door that opens up in a police telephone box and it takes you into a liminal space between time and space. And from there you can step into anywhere in existence and just the sort of completely open-ended question about what could happen next. Like that's so powerful to me. I'm going to ask you to throw the, the Craig Ferguson quote in because I think that's the best description of Doctor Who and the theme of it. If you can, I have it in front of me if you can't remember it specifically, but he sang it to such a snappy tune. Like, how could you? Yeah. No, he described Doctor Who as being about the triumph of intellect and romance over brute force and cynicism. And I think that's I think that's great. I think that's yeah. much least spot on. And so so different than so many of the other heroic characters we get in any fiction it's where brute force is what wins the day far too often and i know that's certainly one of the things that appeals to me about the show think about you know how deeply fundamental it was to me as a young boy growing up in our culture have a couple of characters you know the doctor and spock on star trek you know these characters who their way of overcoming challenge wasn't to shoot it with a gun or punch it with their fist. And it's so rare. It's mm -hmm. so rare to be given you know, a, especially a male character who doesn't want to dominate things. It's it, I think helped me cultivate the idea that like, there are other kinds of power other than force. Mm -hmm. I think also just as I've gotten older, just the metaphor of that, you know, the regeneration growth and change and whatever. And this is something I certainly wouldn't have been able to think of when I was 20, but you know, at my current ripe old age, I live in a completely different body than I did 40 years ago. Okay. You know, yeah, you know, I've regenerated in something different. Everyone does. You know, it's it, it, I'm living a different life. I've had any number of companions over those years, some of whom have been incredibly important to me and I've still lost touch with them. My life has moved on. Their life has moved on. The ones I'm still in contact with. But and you know, we we all go through these different phases of our life. Who I was in college is not who I was in grad school, is not who I was when I met Mav when I was working at the store, you know, is not who I am now. And so just that metaphor of growth and change and that 
that ability to let go and be open to what comes next, whatever form it takes. I think that's an important lesson that comes out of this. I think that's a big picture thing that, that can be hard to talk about or even hard to recognize in yourself. But I, to me, that's part of the essence of why this appeals to people. Okay, so if that's the case, and I think there's something to that. And I think I think one of the things that fascinates me most about the doctor is given my feelings on, you know, continuity, lack of continuity. And I like the idea that there's multiple characters, multiple actors playing the same character. I like the metaphor that you're making, the allegory that you're talking about, like, you know, we all change. That said, Stephen and Shelby both started watching this as young children. Shelby, you said, and I know from talking to you before, your kids love this show. You've got children who are, I, okay, one of your kids is now a young adult, but the other one's a teenager, but they were watching this when they were small. And it's not just because dad was, right? Like you said, that they walked well, you through. a lot of it was because I was watching it, but they will watch <laughs> Doctor Who, but they won't watch Star Trek. Yeah, like if that's I have what Star Trek on, they're not going to be watching Star Trek. Right. Um, so your son and your son is currently your daughter is 18 or 19, my, right? My, my daughter's 18. My son is 15. So. So, so they don't have this whole, oh, well, this is, you know, I'm a different person than I was 15 years ago. Yeah, he, he wasn't. So why does it work there is what I'm getting at. You know, like they they liked. Because it would have been children and, you know, children don't have that the same way or maybe they do. I don't know. Well, I mean, I feel like possibly when children there, when you're children, you're more identifying with a companion because there's this person who's so much older than them and they know so mm. much more than them. Right. But yeah, the companion still is there to perform some useful stuff, not just, you know, the good companions are not just, you know, there as a sponge. Or a piece That's of furniture. True. They have roles. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that is true. They. I'm trying to think of all the recent ones. Certainly since the reboot, even the ones that people might not have liked, they all have strong personalities that play off the Doctor. And he is, whether explicit or not, you know, look, with Clara, it's explicit. But even on the, and with Donna as well, he's always learning from them as well. I, think, I, I feel like we need to plug Bill here, too, because. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You Bill. She, she doesn't was, get enough love. Because well, yeah, I mean, it was towards the end of that run, but yeah, definitely Bill and Capaldi. I'd say mm. Whitaker and her, her Whitaker fan. and Yaz currently, certainly. And I'm just wondering, like, like she she seems to be learning that if any, she's not learning from them so much as she's learning with them. It feels like so. I think that's a little different, but it still makes them it makes them full people in a way that you know a child sidekick isn't always. So I guess I think you got something there. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, they're fully <laughs> participating in the story. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I buy that. So they're, yeah. yeah well, so, and, I mean, when you're bringing kids along on an adventure, they're not always participating in the story. So I, I see the, no, the appeal there. It's well, not, I'm, yeah, it's not a, your outs don't count situation in kickball, right? Like, like they're, they are part of yeah. the team. I uh, definitely yeah. with Whitaker, it's, she says, you're my fam, you're my family. You know, this, she really seems to see them all as equals. Like, I don't necessarily think, I think one of the problems with Ryan was he was very, I thought he was kind of poorly written. He didn't have anything to do, mm -hmm. but Graham and Yaz certainly did. And what's the other guy's name? I'm making his name. Dan. Dan. Yeah. I'll have, they have 
personalities that like mm. she seems to appreciate them as full partners in a way well, that doctors don't always. Yeah, well, you know, certainly you know, me saying this thing about reckon, you know, relating to this idea of change and growth. Like I said, that's not something I would have recognized watching it when I was 20. You know, that's mm. something that comes with age and recognizing these different points in my own life. But I, you know, it's it's the kid psychic thing in comics. It's, you know, Robin was created to give the young readers someone to relate to. And whether that's absolutely true or not, or the role they played, that's how the sidekicks have been seen for a long time. They're a point of entry for, you know, young people. You know, I am not an adult with all these powers, but I can be around one. So I, I think there's very definitely the companion as, you know, the, the doctor is at their core alien and some of them more than others. And the companion is the viewers guide into that they are the point of view through which we see the doctor and can accept that alien side of them does that make any sense that was explicitly true when the show first started and then it was once again explicitly true when they rebooted it you know with eccleston you know we had these very strong viewpoint companions you know in and barbara back in the 60s and then rose i think you know there's a case to be made that both times the show wouldn't survive without that strong like narrative centering around the companion well, mav you said something about the matt smith era that i thought was interesting that in many ways i think the point can be made that amy's the protagonist of those three seasons amy's um, absolutely the protagonist of those three seasons yeah and, um, yeah, and the, the, the doctor's kind of her companion in that yeah, he, I, um, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I he, can see that he point. Bar- he barely matters. I mean, he matters <laughs> in that he's her su- he's her superhero friend, but like he's she is, and maybe people disagree with me. I, I'm sure. I, I wish Hannah was able to come tonight because I'm sure she she would probably disagree because she likes the character a lot. I like mm-hmm. Matt Smith the actor a lot. I think that those first three seasons are her journey. They're Amy's journey. The reason I think a lot of the dislike for Clara is. Clara's first season with Matt Smith is kind of pointless. She's yes, just that's exactly how I felt about her during I, that part. Yeah, I like her far better with Capaldi. I think she needs to be there with Matt so that there's continuity because I, I think that the Capaldi story is the continuity of this is not a reboot. This is a character dealing with the fact that he's no longer that guy. So that's what mm-hmm. makes that's what makes Capaldi story interesting as opposed to moving from Tenet to Smith. It's just a different show moving from Capaldi to Whitaker. It's just a different show. And I'm fine with both of those too, but I think Capaldi's story very much continues out of Smith's story. And so it's necessary, but those first three seasons, this is the story of how Amy Pond grows up and becomes a full person and and not grows up from like a child, grows up from being a young adult to being a full adult and matures and learns to fall in love and learns to be a hero on her own. And she is far more interesting to me than than those. And teaches everybody the word Petricor. I mean, that's I, kind I have of, seen so many references to Petricor in the last year, and it's like <laughs> you're not even Doctor Who adjacent. <laughs> I, I don't. It's. I, mean, I guess we. I went, that that kind of slides into you know the idea of Doctor Who. I guess often was thought of as a kids show, and it's trying to be educational. I guess. <laughs> Partly. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Exciting tales of history. Did anybody, uh, Shelby, you mentioned watching the Sarah Jane show. Did anybody watch any of the other sequels? Because I actually, I really love Torchwood. I yeah, love I, I, season. I, oh, definitely. Yeah, Torchwood was yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, go ahead. Oh, I, just, I, I, I sort of. 
bounced off the first two seasons, but the, the third season I thought was some of the best television I've ever seen. It's yeah, about Children of Earth. The, yeah, the Children of Earth. And I liked all of Torchwood, but I agree with Steve that the first couple of seasons, there was a lot of just kind of funny, goofy, them trying to find their way mm-hmm. with some of those characters. But yeah, that, that third season was amazing. When I just thought was amazing through all of that. I like all of them. I like the entire run of, of Torchwood. I like the first two seasons. I like Children of Earth, and I like the fourth season. The I think their story is interesting because um, I, I appreciate that this is the story of people who know that the Doctor Who world is real, but they don't have the Doctor Who resources. So this is like the moral ambiguity of we're just doing our best. That makes Torchwood so good to me. And I love that it got dark because of that. It's a, mm-hmm. it's the reason it's the thing that I like about about Mandalorian or about Andor Star Wars universe, right? Like it, it's the yeah, okay, we can't all wear white hats all the time, but I'm Captain Jack Harkness and I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm just this is how it's gonna be. And you know, sometimes people die and sometimes it's awful. And same thing with Gwen. Like to Gwen, Jack is her version of the Doctor. You know, I realize mm-hmm. Jack thinks of the Doctor as like this, as this un, this ultimately cosmically powerful being. But to Gwen, Jack mm-hmm. is this ultimately powerful cosmic being, and she could not give less of a damn. Like there's just <laughs> like it just does not matter. And she and will tell tell him off. And I love that about that show. Well, Jack needed to be told off quite frequently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which makes the show work, right? Like. But also, right. I love, I mean, spoilers for Children of Earth. I love that, like, the, I don't even want to spoil it. If you watch Children of Earth, the third season of Torchwood, it's dark. It's dark and it's sad and it's tragic. And I don't know that they win. I mean, they accomplish the, I guess, the best happens, but it's so dark and tragic and ugly and, and frankly, irredeemable. And the show just doesn't try the show lets you sit with the darkness of what it is and i love that about and it's no coincidence that capaldi is there performing his butt off every moment he's on screen not as the doctor it also only Mm -hmm. i think torchwood only works i don't know that i would have appreciated torchwood had i not watched doctor who first I mean, I mean yeah. like I think it only I think it only works this darkness of what it is only works in comparison to the relative brightness in, even under oh. the worst of circumstances for the doctor right like even in in all your bad wolves of the world right or any of the other you know oh my god it's going to take everybody it's we need the war doctor like any any of the times where doctor who tries to get dark it's never really that dark you know, it's just like it's sort of a very comically, yeah. But you know, he'll still do a tiny, rainy, goofy thing and wave the screwdriver. Yeah, well, okay. The whole war doctor was, you know, him saying, "This is my dark period," and it just turned out that it wasn't. Yeah. Well, but to him, that's dark, right? Yeah. He doesn't know what, what it, he doesn't know what it's like to have to kill a child, which is what. Yeah. That's what Jack will do. Yeah. Spoilers. That, there's always that element of the fairy tale about Doctor Who. There was an episode, there was an episode back in the 80s where they went dark. I mean, there were several where they went dark, but there was one in particular. And they alluded to it in the recent Jodie Whittaker episode, Obliquely. There was an episode where they killed a companion and it like, this, the show ended on that moment and it like ended on that moment in everyone's just grief struck horror and then it cut to credits with no music and it was like all of a sudden the show turned into the Sopranos you know Um, (laughs) and just like the shock of it watching that as a kid was 
I mean, I won't go so far to say it was traumatic, but I've never forgotten the impact of the way they did it. It was, and it was, it, I think did something that, that happens in real life, which is, you know, tragedy comes out of nowhere and smacks you when you're not expecting it. But yeah, the show has rarely gone to that place. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Or, does it, or are you saying that it means something when it happens? Certainly means something when it happens. So I think, think that there's an honesty to the really dark moments I appreciate. Honestly, you know, the dark moments and the optimistic happy endings make each other matter. You know, there's that one of my favorite episodes is in the Eccleston season, in the two-part episode, The Empty Child. Yes. And, you know... The story is sort of relentlessly dark all throughout. It's like, a, you know, a period World War II horror story, like, you know, the famous line toward the end, you know, the doctor says, justice wants everybody lives. And it's a great, wonderful, you know, inclusion to the story. And, you know, it's meaningful because when he says justice wants everybody lives, like, it's true. There have been a lot of peripheral characters dying all throughout that season until then, although, you know, not characters you know I, I do think uh, there there have been times and, and especially in the old days of the show where you know a lot of the, the extras who would come on and, and part of the structure of the old show you know was that they tended to be this four-part serials or six-part serials so you know you'd spend you know you'd, you'd spend four weeks six weeks with these extra characters you'd have time to get a little bit attached to them so when they killed them it mattered more at least sometimes and i think that was really effective and that's I, you know, 90%, I prefer the structure of the new show, which is paced in a way that keeps you from falling asleep. I, I do think one of the, one of the few things that has lost is that ability to sort of, you know, emotionally get with the extra characters so that their suffering actually means something to you. When, when they're killed by the giant rubber monster. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost some good friends to uh, bubble wrap, Shelby. The special effects of Doctor Who. Yeah, I'll generously call them special effects. You know, sure. <laughs> but I mean, I think a lot of that is the charm of it, right? Like the charm of the show is that even if we move from the 60s to 2022, no, Daleks are just going to look dumb. That's just how it is. Cybermen are going to look dumb. Look, this is what it is. And we don't care enough to make them better. And like, it's cheaper this way. And some of them are, even some of the newer aliens were like, yeah, we've got a budget now. We're, we're an international show now. It's 2022, it's 2021. But this is a dude in a rubber suit. That's just how we're going to do it. And, and that's I, fine. I love that. Yeah, I kind of yeah. love it. I kind of I love that we don't go CGI heavy or crazy. It's just the dude in a rubber suit, you know. And because of those older episodes, it is part of the perceived aesthetic of that universe. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that said, you know, one of the things I think is striking that it doesn't get talked about anywhere near as often as I think might. You know, there there are a lot of people out there who pick on the Jodie Whittaker years. The show has never looked more impressive than it's looked for the yeah. last three years. Like not just, you know, quote unquote effects. The cinematography is fantastic. They do these amazing yeah. things with the color palettes. Like the show is gorgeous these days and they're, you know, going to be putting even more money into it going forward. It's fascinating to wonder what it's going to do to the effect of, you know, good old Doctor Who. I'm sure that's helped by the, them only doing one or three episodes a year. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which is fine though, right? Like, you know, 
I mean, that's the British model, right? Like you do as many episodes as you need. You know, people love the the British Sherlock Holmes show because there's like eight episodes and that's it. It's like, look, it's actually a little more, but it's not much more. And that's, you know, I'm fine with that. I would rather see quality episodes. I can imagine that, you know, she's doing other adventures that we're not seeing. You know, people are saying there's only three episodes a year. You know, the same number of things that there are Marvel movies, right? Like, <laughs> well, and, and to me, that's always been kind of implied that we see their adventures with the companions we know on the TV show, but they're out there doing all. I mean, if he's this many years old, however many years old he is, he's having lots of adventures out there right. in between these adventures. He'd go off and live two, three hundred years between two times hanging out with Amy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, before we end the show, I wanted I do want to talk a little bit about the more doctor and the regenerations and stuff because that's what drew me to the show. Like I love the changeover. I love the idea of a completely different take on the same character. It's why I thought Capaldi's was so interesting coming off of Smiths, right? So this most recent episode, the, the Jodie Whittaker finale, I loved everything except for the killing of her at the end because it was just like oh by the way ray blast and dead and like like i, re- I realized the show wasn't about that but like to me that seemed too afterthoughty i am interested so spoilers she regenerates back into david Tennant. so obviously i'm interested because he's the best doctor everybody knows that he's the only person that got to do it twice that said, i like i like seeing things like the doctor in some ways even though he's immortal it's the most more person on the show because he dies over and over again so you end up with stuff like what i actually thought was emotional which is i'd say the david Tennant's goodbye to the show from his first run where he gets to go and check in on all the companions and he does his famous you know i don't want to leave your line even though mm-hmm. like he did no one forced you to quit this show <laughs> you know you, you uh, so like i like that nature of it and i wonder if it says something about the character that you know that it's temporary i mean obviously the mm-hmm. first run they didn't the guy got sick right like at the first doctor but mm-hmm. none of us were alive for that so whatever or watching it i guess when you were barely afraid. i was alive yeah, yeah. i was alive <laughs> but like, I, I, I also was in my first generation so yes <laughs> right so like but like there is a nature of the show that I think part of what makes it fun and interesting is that, you know, that the nature of the doctor is to be temporary. The only person I can compare this to is James Bond, right? James Bond is we compare the Roger Moore, James Bond to the Timothy Dalton, James mm-hmm. Bond to the Sean Connery to the Craig, Daniel Craig. Like that's part of the experience. So is it special because, you know, how many episodes of Jodie Whittaker are we going to get? We're going to get three seasons and then we're done, right? Like, we know Tenet's coming back and he's doing a handful of specials and then he's turning it over again. So does it make you just cherish what you get when the very nature of it is to be temporary? Well, we know Tenet didn't really want to leave or else he wouldn't have married Georgia. <laughs> we should explain that joke for the casual listeners of the show <laughs> okay so georgia moffat who is the mm-hmm. daughter of a doctor mm-hmm. peter davidson was also the clone of penance doctor went off in a spaceship and then some then they fell in love and got married so the doctor married the doctor's daughter after she played the doctor's daughter <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> After she played the doctor's daughter, she plays the doctor's daughter, but she's the daughter of another doctor, right? Right. 
Yes. Yeah. It's somewhere around I'm my own grandpa in uh, yeah. <laughs> convoluted. Yes. No, I, I think that's definitely part of it. I know I feel that way. Like I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what a new iteration of the doctor does and knowing it's limited is that is definitely part of the appeal for me as much as I hate, I get attached to all of them to some degree or another, some more than others, but I'm always attached to them. And when the time comes for that transition, it's always coupled with, Oh, I can't wait to see what they do next. But it's always like, am I going to like this one as much? You know? So I, you mm-hmm. know, I, so I liked him a lot and I fully admit I had some trouble accepting Matt Smith because of that. And I had the same transition with Capaldi and Jody, like all of them, but the ones you're attached to, it's harder. It was harder for me to transition to the new one. So I think that's a part of it. I think this whole, you know, the fact that, and obviously it's plot driven stuff, you know, there was the forced regeneration in the last one. And then you degenerated back into Jody, and now you know she regenerates into Tenet again. So that, there's all plot stuff there. The Tenet thing is, it's, and I don't even say this as a negative thing. It's stunt casting. It's a way to draw attention oh, to the show. Yeah, yeah, you know, to get old viewers back, and that's fine. I, you know, I have friends who were all about Tenet, really haven't watched it very much since. Mm-hmm. We're really excited about this. So I, I she's get doing it. Like three I, episodes. Yeah, and, he's, and, a place he's doing three episodes or something, or maybe four, and then it's yeah. going to be on the shooting. Shudi Gatwa, who is going to be yeah. the fifteenth Doctor officially. I like that. I think it's also it makes sense for it to be the Tenant Doctor. His whole thing of I don't want to go. I mean, you know, so much of his character arc is about the inability to let go. His inability to let go of Rose is mm-hmm. you know I don't want to go. Uh, you know, it, to, to me, it's thematic for that character. Whereas you know Capaldi would just have that. So I and so it's consistent for who that iteration of the Doctor has been. I would agree that the like the regenerations bringing this knowledge that you know everyone's time is finite i would agree it adds something to the you know to the appreciation of it maybe not always in the moment but sort of lurking in the background you know i remember as a kid you know watching it and most of what i saw was tom baker and they had some john pertwee mixed in there and there was some you know william hartnell the first doctor mixed in there but then as a kid in the 80s with this moment where you know they brought tom baker's last episode and you know peter davison's first to, to the united states for the first time so we sort of didn't see it at the same time that the brits did but we saw it not terribly long after and it was just this very serious sort of ritualistic fascination with it, it was like you know it was like going through a rite of passage you know having the doctor change in front of us at least that's how it felt to me as a kid it was so doom late and and it was such an interruption of what i was enjoying and yet you know it wasn't over it was still going and just this idea that everything changes but everything is the same i don't know it was powerful well and i think that's a big part of the lesson of the show is exactly that things change you know in in our real lives things change we lose people we are not the same people we once were but there is a core that remains life goes on and that is so much a part of and that's so baked into the concept of who. And I think it's definitely one of the things that speaks to the viewership, whether it's conscious or not. Just so, that recognition that we we all do this. So if that's the case, and I agree with you, obviously, but why is there such a, and I mean, both among the happy fans and also the toxic fans, 
why is there such an attachment to the doctors and a resistance to change? I mean, I've been joking about it this entire episode, right? Like, yeah. I'm making, but I'm making fun of it. And I, but I think that there is a very real, not my doctor. And some, yeah, of, it, some of it's easy. Some of it's based in toxicity, right? The doctor, yeah. why the, the doctor can't be a woman because I right. believe that he has two hearts, but he can't change gender. Like they, yeah. some of it's stupid. So like, I'm not even talking about those people. I mean, I am to an extent, right? Because I, I think fandom of this is my doctor. This is my companion. This is my show. This is what I want the show to be. And because it, it lends itself to that kind of toxicity. But also, I think there's an air of it, even, you know, even with like me and because, Hannah playfully yeah, teasing each other yeah. over, you know, it's Matt Smith versus David yeah. Hannah. Like, be, I don't know. I think be, because people don't want to let go. You know, yeah. I, they don't want to go. The known is always comfortable. And moving into that new thing, whether it's in the show or real life, that's scary as fuck. You know, you don't know what is coming next. You don't know how you're going to interact with this new doctor. You don't know how you're going to feel about them. And, you know, you get a new job. You don't know any of that stuff. You meet a new person in your life. You don't know any of that stuff. You lose someone from your life. That's hard and terrifying. And, you know, for so many people, our fictions are there to comfort us. Yes. And losing people, losing yourself, moving into something new is not comfortable. I had this conversation with somebody recently, just roughly about the doctor, but that whole idea of happy endings. And there are no happy endings with the doctor. You their companions at some point, the doctor's going to move on. They are going to be left without him, him, him or her. You, and some of that is just life is like that. There's that air of tragedy, not to be a downer here, but there's that air of tragedy about life. People die. Steve and I used to see each other all the time. We don't anymore. You know, you are a companion of mine that while I haven't lost you, we don't have the relationship we once did. And I actively miss that, but it's where our lives are now. And I value what we had in the past. I still value it as a friend in the present. But it's different than it was 20 years ago. And that's hard to contemplate when you're involved with people right now. The idea that 10 years from now, the most important people in your life just might not be there anymore. Nobody wants to think about that shit. And that's frightening. And that's what the doctor regenerating represents. So people hang on to the thing that's comfortable and get really cranky and angry and toxic. When it's taken away from them, even when it's something they love. Well, I don't I want to say off, that we've resolved I, nothing. I, 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 was, I, I just went <laughs> off on a Capaldi speech, didn't I? I just threw a Capaldi right there. <laughs> I mean, I asked the question and I was going to resolve nothing but like that. Bleak, bleak. I think there's something to it. I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, that makes sense, I guess. But it's also weird because on the flip side, you know, we have two guests today who absolutely love the show. Like, I mean, and well, and to be fair, like you both kind of said, oh, the real doctor is Tom Baker, knowing full well that, that was 30 something years ago. Right. Yeah. 40, 40 years ago. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you know, so so that's the one that, you know, even seeing him for two seconds when he comes back in like a, in like, you know, one of the anniversary specials all the time, you go, that's a very old man now. <laughs> like he's probably not coming to the show again, you know, like, so, so I, I don't know. Do you guys feel that tension of the wanting to celebrate the familiar and the known with the excitement of the unknown? Is that like part of the appeal of the show? I think so. And yeah, definitely. I, 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 I think about all of the friends who I used to talk about Doctor Who with, you know, in the you know, in, in the Eccleston and, and Tennant years. And like, 
there were a lot of people who were talking about Doctor Who on a regular basis. And when Tennant left, a lot of those friends of mine stopped watching the show. And you know, I don't think they were toxic fans, but... I don't mean to imply that. No, no, no. But I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. I think, you know, whether they knew it or not, I think a lot of them were watching for a certain kind of comfort and you know, a certain vibe. And when that vibe turned into something else, you know, they, the larger arc of the show wasn't enough to keep them in that place of discomfort, you know, for reasons that might have been very valid. You know, I certainly heard any number of uh, there's always complaints and a lot of them are valid, you know, about, yeah. you know, new writers are doing X showrunners. Right. So, you know, I don't say this to, to criticize anyone who, you know, who didn't want Stephen Moffat's vision of Doctor Who. Now, I had plenty of those criticisms to share, but like for me, there is an essence, there is an essence of what show is about that is more powerful than anything else. And it, it's more powerful than the attachment to any one specific piece of it. Although like there were moments in the later Capaldi years, as much as I loved Capaldi and Smith before him, like I was almost ready to say, you know what, I'm, I've had enough Doctor Who for now. Because it felt like it was getting the same story over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like, there are a lot of tropes that, you know, that writer has to work with, and they keep writing long enough, they keep going back to the tropes. I don't know. Like, uh, all that said, I, I guess my point was that I am one of a handful of fans who actually stayed engaged with the show through the past you know, 10 years. How 40 years. Specifically, <laughs> yeah. like, the, yeah. there, there was a crew of people who were really into it, and they didn't stick with it and think that comfort factor is a big reality. I don't mean to demonize or criticize the people oh. who made that decision either. You know, like we, we all enjoy our fictions for whatever personal reasons we have. And if that is something that makes you uncomfortable, you just can't hang with. Okay. You know, I, we, yeah, it's not a, oh, they should have stuck around kind of saying, no, no, I get it. I understand it. I mean, there's the toxic fan thing, you know, just that, that becomes ridiculous, whatever. But I understand the whole, hey, you know, I, this is just not my doctor. This is not what I'm here for. I'm going to take a break. Okay. So we've resolved nothing. See, I can do so it. So we've resolved nothing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a better place to end it. I think we've resolved something. I mean, it's a good show. I think it has something to offer and we understand why it's not for everybody. So that's a resolving yeah. nothing that I can be proud of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, this was fun. great. Thank you for having us. Definitely. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Shelby, anything you'd like to plug? Yes. So I am a coach of a first robotics team, which is basically get a bunch of teenagers together and have them build their own canine. So, you know, if you have the ability to go see a first tech challenge, first robotics, or first Lego league competition, go do it. Especially if you have kids, bring them with you. Is there a website that you can, we can link in the show notes? Yes. Firstinspires.org. Awesome. Very cool. And it'll be linked in the show notes as well. And Stephen, my my life partner, Dudich Lupescu, is a Ukrainian American author here in Chicago, and is also sometimes my writing partner. Has an amazing new graphic novel that just dropped this week. It's called Mother Christmas. It is actually the first in the Mother Christmas trilogy. But this is a, a secret origin story for person we know as mrs claus and we do christmas shows every year and it's fully on my plan to ask her on to talk about it it's just it's a super cool book it's you know if you like sandman or lore olympus or christmas it's fully up your alley mother christmas <laughs> 
Very cool. Yeah, and you have a number of books yourself along with Vaya. So, so we'll, we'll link some Amazon links or something in there for that stuff as mm-hmm. well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you never know, maybe Thank they'll you. turn that into a Christmas episode for Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for joining us. And you know, now you get to see something that I enjoy doing every week and it didn't happen on the show last week. So Wayne, what do you want to plug? I got nothing this week. I, uh, I very much, you, you guys just skipped that important part of the show where neither you nor Hannah ever plug anything. Yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com or you can find out what we're talking about next week. And I'm not sure what that is because I lose track sometimes, but you know, read the blog and find out. You can also leave us comments on this show. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us who your favorite doctor is. That's a useful thing. Like, I mean, people, everybody has a favorite doctor. Tell us who your favorite doctor is, who your favorite companion is. And tell us if you agree with the things that we've said. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, not just a rating, like you write a little something on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, really helps us out, and I will regenerate into another dimensional being. That's a thing that happens when I get reviews. You want to see that, don't you? That would be awesome. Trust me. <laughs> also, you know, I just want the show to be more popular. But I would like to thank Maximilian of Thought Form Music for our epic theme song, Building Ever So More Epically and Playing Us Out. I'd once again like to thank both of our guests for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>